You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is the aftermath, the autopsy episode, as we unpack the Week 5 loss at the Jets by looking at the film, the key metrics as a result from the game, the snap counts, as well as Mike McDaniel's Monday press conference from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. Don't want to waste any time as we typically do not waste time on these Tuesday podcasts. Taking a look back at the game, by the way, go Mariners! The Mariners moving on to the American League Divisional Series, playing the Astros tonight. Let's go get that one, baby. That was the waste of time. Now we're not going to waste any more time. Dolphins, Jets, all 22 review. And starting off with the offense here and piggybacking off of what Coach Mike McDaniel said about how he doesn't recall a single first or second down play in the first half where the Jets played a single high safety. It was a lot of two or even three deep with that middle shell going four or five guys across, and then they would win with plenty of four-man rushes against this Dolphins pass protection scheme that was obviously without Teron Armstead and Austin Jackson off either side uh, with Brandon Shell stepping up after being signed to the practice squad and elevated just in the last couple of weeks, and then at right tackle with Greg Little. And that's why I was so encouraged by the run game because – You know, the way that they played this game, that the Jets defense, it just didn't really afford a whole lot of opportunities to throw the football into those areas. And if you are going to throw the ball into those areas, you have to be very precise with your timing and anticipation and to expect a rookie quarterback, you know, we'll use seventh round draft pick, I guess, but just the rookie in general to expect that time and time again, it's just not going to happen that way for you. You have to, you know, have an elite processor and anticipator at the quarterback position to, to really take advantage of those, those, you know, coverage looks otherwise you're going to have a game where it's tough to get the passing game going and your leading receiver has just 47 yards so you know I think if you take advantage of those looks where they're lighter in the box enough times especially as this team gets healthier going forward and we get the intermediate passing game going once again we're going to be awfully tough to stop just like we were for the first three games this season uh, being one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL and a quarterback that was number two in the NFL in EPA per play number one in passer rating number one in QBR and I think the fourth highest PFF grade although we don't care about that but you get the point so into the actual plays of this game for the Miami Dolphins offense Teddy Bridgewater's one play, the safety. Uh, it was a nice blitz conversion there by the Jets playing in their typical zone. Look, they give you pre-snap. And the eligible receiver, which in this instance was Alec Ingold, the only eligible to Sauce Gardner's side that makes him stay over there. And that's why you run these motions to keep people where they're supposed to be. He doesn't follow Ingold, which tells you zone coverage. 
but he was over there to begin with because you have to put someone on the side of the eligible. But he motions away, and so all Gardner does is convert a cat blitz, and he has great closing speed, took a great route to Teddy Bridgewater to his ultimate drop back, or the I guess where the ultimate destination was off that play-action look. And it's just a, a great play for him because, man, we had a receiver on a defensive back for all their DBs, 10 yards down the field for each guy, ready for a block, and a convoy out ahead of Raheem Mostert, and one key block for Rob Hunt to hit in that portion of that screen for it to get out the gate for potentially big play. But because Gardner closed so quickly and got Teddy, it winds up being an intentional grounding, I I guess, which I need an explanation for that because he was throwing the screen pass to Raheem, and the reason it went the wrong way was because he got hit. Like, Teddy wasn't even looking at Sauce on that play. Never saw him, in fact. So the whole intentional part of the intentional grounding doesn't make much sense to me. If anything, it was a fumble, like way closer to a fumble to me than it was grounding. I can, I would have been, like, I would have understood if they ruled that a fumble because it was hand moving forward, but it also was almost empty hand moving forward. But the grounding, I don't understand that. So I guess better than seven points, but it was still still two points off the first play and you lose your quarterback for the game. And that brings up Skylar Thompson, who, you know, let's look at some of the positives here uh, with his game that he played. And I thought he, you know, all things considered, did enough to acquit himself to show that he belongs at this level in his first start when obviously coming off the bench like that, you kind of take some time, like he mentioned in his post-game presser, to get settled into the flow of things. Uh and you know, that's it's a tough spot for him to be in, but I thought that he did an awesome job of improvising at times and, and buying some time when things broke down a little bit. Like that throw to Jalen Waddle where he basically, you know, had to get himself horizontal to the ground and throw that diving type of pass. It was a great play by Thompson. And then there was a throw before our second touchdown of the game, right before the end of the first half, where I thought watching it live. The ball was behind Tyreek, where he catches it down on the 10-yard line, took a big shot down there. But it actually was perfectly located to settle Tyreek into that soft spot before running him into the hit. He still took the hit, but it could have been a lot worse if he leads him into it. And frankly, I thought it was his best anticipation throw of the day as well, as he threw it before Tyreek came out of that break. And then the interception, I don't think was on him. I mean, sometimes things happen, and his arm got hit on that play. And, you know, Greg Little... He gives a lot in that rush to speed to power that knocks him back quite significantly. And that kind of, I think, tipped off Raheem Mostert to go help and chip on him because Little did eventually settle that block and actually walled him off. But then Raheem's chip knocked him off of the block and that allowed the rusher to get in there and put a hand on Skylar's arm, which obviously causes the ball to flutter and gave Sauce Gardner, who has a great trigger coming out of that backpedal, that extra tenth of a second to come up and make a play. And he did. Great play by Sauce Gardner. He's a great pick for that team uh, for the Jets so far. He had a throwaway that I thought was very impressive. You say, Travis, a throwaway? Really? Well, yeah, because saving negative plays is a big deal as well. It was a play-action boot. The Jets blitzed the edge that he was supposed to boot to, saw it, stopped, and just got the ball out over the head of his outlet wide receiver. That's a positive when you turn a negative into a nothing. It's a net gain from what it's supposed to be. Like, you're looking at a negative play, all of a sudden it goes back to second and ten. We'll take that every single day. When the play call's wrong, get us out of the disaster and get us back on schedule. Obviously, plenty of things to work on. After the, the defensive pass interference on Tyreek Hill, we missed Tyreek uncovering on a dig route, just didn't see him. Uh, there was a double clutch on a check down, and that was kind of the case all day. Just, you know, I'm sure he'll trust his eyes more as he goes. But again, first start, like, look across the league, rookies the last few years. It's not usually 
Very pretty, especially early on. Look at what happened in Pittsburgh on Sunday. I mean, it's tough to come into this league and be effective right away at that position. Uh, just take some time to see things, to get the experience, understand how NFL defenses rotate and move. And I thought that, you know, he got better as the game went along. There was a vertical route he threw on a third and 20 where the route was capped. The defensive back was five yards on top of the receiver, threw it anyway, and Chase Edmonds was kind of open on a design screen, but there was urgency in the pocket because pressure was coming. So again, you understand some of the stuff here, but also just mentioning where maybe it could improve. Uh, so there was a lot of see it, then throw it, you know, the anticipation of throwing it before he uncovers. I just really grew appreciation over the last couple of weeks for Tua in that regard and really watching the NFL in general with how late some throws can be. Tua is so adept in that regard that the more you you see games without him, the more I think you appreciate just what he already can do. Uh, there was a bad miss to Gasicki on a third down right before our last points, the Sanders field goal an out route that short hops him that probably is a first down if Mike can catch it and turn up for an extra yard and a half. And then ah, one frustrating play on third and six after we got the fourth down stop is Mike Gesicki once again uncovers on a little in route over the middle of the field and he's open immediately right in the line of path of where Skyler's helmet is facing. You know, who knows the progression where he's looking, but there's time for him to hitch up and throw. He hitch ups and, and hesitates and then it's a sack right after that. Little things like that go a long way and I'm sure that's what Skyler's talking about when he said that I'm looking forward to watching this tape and getting better from it in the game on Sunday. We just weren't quick, weren't anticipating enough to take advantage of the zones the Jets ran. They played zone all day long, and we kind of had to just find our picks and spots here and there. Then the sack fumble, obviously, got to have better ball security. Another late read, not getting out of the ball the ball out of your hand with anticipation because Tyreek, or was it Jalen Waddle uncovered on that play? By the time he locates the check down, you know, he goes to throw it, and then you have just one hand on the ball in the pocket after three seconds in the pocket. You just can't do that. He'll learn that. He'll get better. No doubt about that in my mind that Skylar Thompson takes this game and improves from it. But all in all, again, I thought he played pretty well given the circumstances. Some throws a little bit late, a couple of off-target throws, but he managed the game well. Every quarterback in every game has some off-target throws and some ti- some late timing plays. Uh, but he made some nice scrambles and did his best to protect the ball up until that last strip sack. Again, the pick, hard to fault him on that. So an uneven day, but I think about what you expect from a third-string quarterback coming off the bench to to be your last available guy. I mean, the next guy up was Cedric Wilson, so it just tells you about the attrition of this league and where the Dolphins were in this game on Sunday. But tip of the cap to Skylar Thompson into that game very late there. A tip of the cap to the scouting staff and coaching staff for getting him ready and putting yourself in position where with your third quarterback, you have a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter against a division rival. The running game got going, didn't it? I was super impressed, and I always am, by the design of the running game. It's so much fun. There's so many different looks where if I'm playing Mike Linebacker, well, that defense is in trouble, first of all, but if I'm playing Mike Linebacker, my eyes are very confused because I have the power of fast-forward rewind here on my Mac computer to go back and say, oh, there was a missed key. There's a, that's a cool-looking pulling guard. There's a nice little second-level block. There's a lot of that. There's a lot for the eyes to kind of follow in terms of this blocking scheme. There was one play early on where Greg Little down blocks the second level and Robert Hunt pulls in behind him to wipe out the edge. Like You change your assignments and you change the gap assignments of the defensive line. Then Gesicki, who's in a nasty split, Uh, also comes up to the second level. Connor Williams goes the opposite direction of all that flow and walls off the backside, knows the one technique right there with Liam Eichenberg pulling in behind him. So if you're trying to key the center of the offense, like the center and two guard positions, two guys going one way, one guy going the opposite way, it's tough to track. 
And then you have Armstead off the other side climbing up to the second level. And then Ingold, who motions out, seals off the edge. It's just a lot of things to sift through. And speaking of Ingold in motion, man, they use him in so many different ways. And I think that as we go along, he's going to continue to be more valuable, but he already has been very valuable. The motions and varied usages of his skill set, like nobody else in the roster can do what he does in that regard. So it's very important that we have him. But attaching to the line of scrimmage, you know, operating out of the backfield, the H-back positions, up back, deep back, out wide as a receiver, where he's coming in that brotherhood motion the Niners ran all all year last year where they would bring Trent Williams in motion. There was a couple of plays where Ingold did that, some of the counter work. He's a very valuable asset. Looking forward to him getting more and more work here in this offense. How about the Raheem Mostert touchdown run? That was a thing of beauty. First of all, how many times have I talked about this in the podcast, Twitter spaces, the post game show about your ability and the Dolphins, this preseason training camp, running different receiver combinations with the first-team offense because this touchdown run comes out of 21 personnel, which is two backs, one tight end, which means you have two receivers. Raheem and Chase are the backs, not Alec Ingold. Your two tailbacks, Mike Gusecki, the tight end, River Craycraft, and Trent Sherfield. Like, that's your red zone, run the football, make tough catches offense. It's a good package to have down there close to the end zone. And Raheem is stacked behind Mike Gesicki in a nasty split. Nasty split, when you hear me say that, that means a receiver and eligible is in tight to the tackle, right next to the tackle. And then a stack is when you have a guy up on the line and then a guy right behind him, which prevents jamming. It gives you obviously a clear out to motion to go off that side and it keeps you off the line of scrimmage to be able to go in motion and you don't have to shift and readjust as a result. Y'all with me still? On that play, he goes in motion, and then they snap the ball before he gets to the quarterback, and he immediately hands it to him. And because of that, because of that quick snap, he already has the entire box count outflanked. Great. So you've already designed yourself a play where the running back has already beaten the linebackers and defensive line to where he needs to get. And then all of a sudden, all you need is two blocks from River and Trent. They, cr- they crush it, absolutely kill their blocks, push their guys off the football. And then Raheem, we have to ask you one more thing here, sir. Make one man miss, and he does. He makes, I think it was C.J. Mosley miss in the hole. If it wasn't him, it was Quan Alexander, I forget. And that's the recipe for a touchdown right there. Great play call, good perimeter blocks. Back makes one guy miss. Touchdown, Dolphins. Problem is with the running game is there was lots of misses, falling off blocks, you know, left guard, right tackle, tight end position. We, uh... There was a the, the Tyreek Hill reverse. Man, we had a touchdown on that play. If we finish the blocking, like, and there's a play where Liam peels back and tries to go block plays that are already behind him. If he goes out and gets the edge and blocks the edge that eventually tackles Tyreek, I think it might have been a touchdown. Just go get somebody. Uh, that was frustrating to see that just these instances of one guy getting beat and it ruins the play, which obviously is the case. You know, that's, that's how you win football games on defenses. Have, have somebody win a big, important matchup and get a stop right there. But it was just too frequent at those spots. And then off the edge, the Jets' pressures and, and quarterback rush, the one-on-one situations, the four-man pressures off either edge was, was too much to handle. Has to get better out there as well. Uh, let's see. So Sauce Gardner is a hell of a player. We've already talked about that. But Tyreek on that first DPI just got him, got off the top of him. And that's where we talk about this urgency that his speed creates. Always talking about it here on the podcast. Like Sauce had to stay vertical. And the moment that Tyreek adjusts back to the ball in the air, it's almost impossible to not get flagged for, especially with Tyreek knowing well enough to go back and play the ball through the man because he's blind to the play. And Tyreek can basically initiate that contact at that point 
which is going to draw the flag every single time. There was a play later in the game where it was either Conklin or Uzama, one of the Jets' tight ends, where he was downfield against Jerome Baker, and Jerome runs step for step and puts his helmet hits the football and gets the pass breakup. If Uzama just comes back to that ball and plays through Baker, it's a DPI. So Hill knew to do it, Uzama or Conklin, one of the two, didn't know to do it. It's a difference there. But Tyreek Speak puts you in positions like that time and time again. More on Tyreek. The Jets played a lot of Meg, which is man everywhere he goes, where you're all in zone, but you have one guy matching up man on Tyreek. And that's why you got some of those DPIs, because there was DBs trailing underneath Tyreek, just basically, hey, cover Tyreek, don't worry about anything else. Just stick to him, don't track the ball, don't track our defense, just go cover 10 Again, 61 yards and DPIs, a big reason for that is because they were playing him and not the football. The catch he made on that sideline throw that was a bit back inside, the defensive back, DJ Reed, had his hands on it, and Tyreek just took it from him. And you can see the sideline shot where he reaches his hands right back across the face and plucks it away from Reed, and he has no idea what happens. He thinks Tyreek's out of bounds. He thinks the ball's not caught. He looks over. Both of those are wrong. Like, what the hell? That's what Tyreek does, man. He makes plays. Then the move that he put on on the reverse, the one that I was upset about, uh, before our first touchdown, man, two defenders on either side, and he just splits them and accelerates right through his cut. Such a rare breed, one block away from a touchdown on that play. And the Jets did a great job on that throwback play where we give it to Tyreek. He wants to throw it back to Skylar Thompson. They actually put a man on Skylar so he can't throw it back, but then Tyreek just did more. Like, we were one block away on that play from potentially going all the way, but that one I don't blame so much because Rob Hunt was trying to get out there, but Tyreek ran past him so he couldn't finish the block, but he had to keep going with the speed because of the flow of the play. So good play by Quan Alexander on that one. Awesome, awesome block on the edge uh, on a Raheem Mostert 24-yard run. Both Tyreek and Waddle hit key blocks there. Connor Williams also forced Quan Alexander to retreat 20 yards before he was able to angle towards Raheem. Connor is awesome, man. The push that he got on that Smythe sneak touchdown run was chef's kiss. And then staying there with both Connor Williams and Rob Hunt. The opening drive of the second half, uh, Raheem Mostert rips a 19-yard run. Connor and Rob double up a play. A, a tackle, I should say, and Connor pancakes him, and Rob peels off and drives a linebacker a gap off to the side and five yards downfield. Those two guys are getting it done in such a big way right now. Very impressive play out of the center and right guard combo here of your Miami Dolphins. And then let's go back to the receiver position. My notes a little bit out of order here. The way that Waddle followed his quarterback like on that crazy broken play that Skylar Thompson had while getting driven back was was just awesome, man. The, the catch to scoop it off the turf, such a complete player, the way he competes and catches tough passes and finds the football and runs good routes. Then, of course, that big 34-yard defensive pass interference late was was big, big time where he gets on top, stacks the, rece- or the defensive back, and then fights for the ball. And give him a lot of credit, too, because you can tell the way he's trying to gut that out, out there. He's laboring a lot coming out of those breaks. It's just not the normal explosiveness we're used to with Jalen Waddle. Uh, back to Raheem Mostert. Man, he was cooking. There was an inside toss play early in the second quarter where we turn number 98 free right at the line, and Raheem does this pair of jump cuts, and it works as an ankle breaker. Then he gets to the second level. He runs for 12 on a play later on. Where the play's blown up, they, they threw Liam on the ground right in front of his track, and he just sidesteps the tackle and gets to full speed within a few steps. The way he wins the edge, even when it's not there, is so valuable, not just for the yards that it gets, but also the stress that it puts on defenses when we go to that stretch boot action because I got to get all the way over there to deal with Raheem's speed, and then if they're going to pull it out and play action the other direction, now I have to get back that way too. I just like the way both he 
and Miles Gaskin ran the ball in this game, especially in short yardage, where they found the sticks. You have to be able to do that consistently in today's NFL. Big running plays, first down conversions. Miami was very good in those two departments. Chase Edmonds had two drops, took his eyes off the football before he secured it. I think he'll get that righted. Like, a little doubt in my mind, he'll figure that out. He just wanted to make a play for his team. Coach talked about guys pressing in the Bengals game once the quarterback goes down. I think a little bit more of that here, but I trust him to get it fixed. And then Tanner Connor, you know, you don't need any analyzing on the drop. It just went through the mitts in a big spot. I trust those guys to get that fixed uh, next time around. Back to Williams and Hunt, and I don't know why I'm so disorganized here, but Their double teams are teaching tape, man. Low pad level, good drive, hip to hip, shoulder to shoulder. The Jets were playing that hair on fire, one gap, upfield penetration style, and we had some nice wham calls. What's that? It's where they want a one gap upfield, and you just let a guy go free, and you take the opposite side player, and you just go take care of him, like basically take him where he wants to go, take him out of the play. Teams did that to Ndamukong Sue all the time down here. Uh... And we, it worked. So Rob Hunt in particular, just he's, he's awesome. He's fantastic. On the series of the missed field goal, there's a first and 10 run that puts us at the plus 36, where Rob is head up over a defensive tackle, a two technique, who wants to one gap his way in, but Rob fires off the ball faster and gets the knockback that he was looking to get on Rob and then buries him with a pancake. Really good stuff. Teron Armstead on the play where he had to exit was such a smart veteran play to grab a hold of Lawson who beat him inside, but take the 10-yard holding call opposed to a hit on your third quarterback that you can't lose it wiped out a scramble for a first down but that scramble doesn't happen if if Lawson gets in there and puts a hit on your quarterback I thought Brandon Shell had some good push in the running game although again off the edges and the pass uh, pass protection wasn't wasn't very sharp and a lot of walking back off the edge which obviously condenses the pocket and makes life tough especially again on your rookie quarterback and my last note on the offense Keep throwing screens behind Trent Sherfield. He had two more in this game where he's locking up blocks for the entirety of the play, 10 yards downfield. He is fantastic. Let's go ahead and take our first break, 30-plus minutes into the podcast here. Whoa, 20 minutes? I don't know where we're at. Uh, it's late. Take our first break here, come back on the other side, do the defense, do the numbers, all that fun stuff. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K. LASIK.com. Back here on a film review Tuesday, week number five edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your boy Travis Wingfield with you guys here on the Drive Time Podcast. We start with Jalen Phillips, who right off the top on a second and short run, just throws the left tackle on the ground and into the gap where the running back wants to go. Then he flies further in and resets the left guard and stacks up the run with the Landon Roberts. On Jerome Baker's sack that he had in the game, Phillips shocks left guard to the point that he's about to walk him right into the lap of Zach Wilson, but then the center sees it and comes over and helps him, and that frees up Baker, who did an excellent job of his own of finishing that sack. Phillips, I thought, had a bunch of big impact plays early in this game. Hopefully, we can get four quarters of that from him going forward. He's, he's, I think he's playing so well, just the stats aren't there yet. It's going to happen eventually. Just stay patient with Jalen Phillips. He's playing really well. Christian Wilkins is playing out of his mind as well. Batted pass. Uh, early in this game, just shows you how he can impact the game, even when double teamed. It's a guard center double team on him, and he sees that, recognizes he's not going to win the pass rush, 
pushes into them to create space between their bodies, and that allows him to elevate and swat the ball down and get the defense off the field. Textbook, more textbook stuff on the next drive as he rides the wave from the opposite side of the formation all the way outside the numbers to the field side of the formation for a tackle. And then literally the next play, it's the next drive, but it's the next play defensively on the tape. It looks like Michael Carter has the biggest cutback lane you've ever seen, but Wilkins disengages from the right tackle and makes a stop right at the line. It saved at least 10 yards, if not more. And I didn't notice it on the broadcast, but Christian beat a double team on the third and two stuff right before the fourth down incompletion when Nick Needham People thought he might get flagged for DPI and Corey Davis on that play. The play before, Christian Wilkins beats a double team and gets a third and two stuff of the Jets running game. Melvin Ingram, man, the play that he made on that TFL that got pulled back for a face mask was such a ridiculously good play before the face mask happened where he swims one block and then split flow action comes over and tries to wipe him out, but he goes and drops a shoulder and wipes that dude out. Really good play, just kind of finished without grabbing the face mask. And same with Raekwon Davis on his sack slash face mask. He shocks his man and then waits for Christian Wilkins to come in and set the pick stunt from his three technique position. And then Raekwon scrapes in tight to that congestion. And what I mean by that is in this game, like you obviously want to stay clear of any blocking or congestion. So if you go too far around that little pick, you're going to not have enough time. You have to stay in tight and scrape off of that so you can get the quickest angle to the quarterback. And he did it so beautifully, just grabbed the face mask. And it's a game of inches, man. Neither guy had to do that to make the play. Their hands just wound up in the wrong place. Emmanuel Ogba pressured Zach Wilson on a third and goal misfire. And this looked a lot like the Tua touchdown to Mike Gesicki where they kind of high load that end zone linebacker plopped in there. But of course, our quarterback made the throw and the other quarterback didn't. But Emmanuel Ogba had a quick pressure where he won inside and forced the throw high and out of the back of the end zone. Not everybody can make that throw. Zach Sealer had that swim move several times in this game. He damn near blew up the uh, Michael Carter touchdown run with it. Then the next drive, he does bury Zach Wilson almost instantly off the snap. He got the throw away, but man, you cannot win any quicker than Zach Sealer on that swim move. Jerome Baker's effort on the pass breakup 40 yards downfield was absolutely superb. Uh, And then Brandon Jones, too, who sprinted to the football the entire play and wound up being three or four yards away from a potential gift interception as a result of that tip. Little things like that you love to see because, you know, if it tips up a little bit higher, he does get a pick and you have all kind of room to run with because he hustled to the football. Run to the football, good things will happen. I thought Baker, speaking of him and Erob, showed really good patience and reaction to the Brees Hall direct snap play down in the goal-to-go situation. Both kind of saw what was going on there and made the play for the stop. How about seeing Channing Tindall involved? Really nice form tackle along with Cater Kohu on that third and long where they planted seven aqua jerseys right at the sticks. He fires up and makes a big play there. Maybe we see more of him going forward. We'll see. I'd love to see him get some work uh, at some point this rookie season. And some things never change, man. And I love the way Andrew Van Ginkle plays tight to the line on the backside pursuit of outside runs away from him. He gets another run stop on a pivotal Jets drive. They eventually score on that drive, but Van Ginkle has a run stop to kick off a series in that in that particular drive. Unfortunately, though, the Jets scored because on the very next play, we picked ourselves uh, with Igbenogany setting a pick on Jerome Baker incidentally. Uh, Brees Hall had some nice patient runs where he picked his way through. That hesitation that he would do would cause some of our guys to get caught on blocks in the second level, uh, 55 and 52 sometimes. It's very good running, but getting off blocks is obviously key for linebackers. Brandon Jones, man, he timed that blitz on that sack so, so well. And then staying on the quarterback's track without losing him, 
such a big time play in a big spot this uh, that on that particular moment. It's been a very big year here for Brandon Jones in his third season. You know, back to Noah Igbenogany. The first pass on him is incomplete, but only because it was a skipped ball over there. Then third and seven, it's a zone drop. And he's just covering space and, and lets his man get free over there. There's a play later on where he runs down the field trying to cover somebody. Um, and then the pick that he winds up setting on Jerome Baker, like he's playing the man. It's just it's a, it's a tough responsibility out there. Hopefully Igbo continue to build on that and, and use this tape to get better. I thought Nick Needham made a really nice stop on the Jets' first field goal drive when Brees Hall bounced to outside and tried to make a move on him, and he wrapped him up and brought him down. But otherwise, holding the edge has been an issue or a bugaboos this year, and they were again in this game tackling and setting the edge outside. A few more notes here. Cater Kohu missed a tackle on a little whip route by Garrett Wilson in the middle of the second quarter. But man, I was impressed by him on an island in that slot position, putting his foot in the ground and changing direction in a very tough spot to cover with two-way goes or three-way goes, really. He really wasn't that far from jumping the dang thing. Then he gets on Wilson immediately after the catch, but just doesn't finish the tackle. You have to finish there. Has another rep just like that later in the game, middle of third quarter, but I thought he did a great job again with the change of direction, but they flagged him for turning the receiver. It's tough to see on the all-22, but I suppose he did. I didn't really see it, but you, you can't tell from that angle. The long pass to Brees obviously was a missed assignment somewhere. Eric Rowe kind of caught flack on Twitter, but you can't really, who knows, you know, who the responsibility it was there. It looked like it was him, but you can't know without knowing the defensive play call. But it was a cool design by the Jets to, you know, the, the value of having those two back sets where you, like we have with Raheem and Chase, big part of that right there. It looks like a lead block and a little zone read run, but then he gets turned free and it's the easiest 79-yard pass Wilson's going to have in his entire career. On the whole, obviously too many missed tackles. You don't need to belabor that point, but you've got a pretty clear directive where you can get better. Better tackling equals fewer yards, equals longer down and distances, which means more opportunities for the splash plays that we have been lacking. Not a bad tape through three quarters, but the levy for sure broke in that fourth quarter with three quick changes and three short fields. That's a tough, tough ask. Hopefully you can get one stop, but I mean, starting at the five-yard line, that's you're not going to get stops there very often. The next drive starts at the 30-yard line. It's a lot to ask your defense. And the pass rush, like if I can you know, say what the defense needs to do better, the pass rush just has not been consistent enough in four-man rush situations this year. You know, we go through... Uh, all the games and blitzes, but winning true one-on-one four-man rush situations with more frequency would really go a long way, especially while X and Byron are down. And also, I think the corners actually played pretty well, all things considered. Some key situations where they had really good coverage, but I can't wait to see X and Byron back playing together again, hopefully sooner than later, because... We all kind of got spoiled with all the press man looks that marry up so well with the pressure packages up front, which is the, ca- the cause of all the chaos we've got in the past couple of years, all the takeaways. It's just not going to be there when you're playing off and bail and as much zone as we have been. You know, Javon Holland basically is forced to play 20 yards off the football. as kind of a mop-up guy back there as a result of it all. It changes the way you do things when you're down your top two guys off the edge out there. Like, imagine that. Same difference where if we didn't have Tyreek Hill and some of those deep concepts just don't work the same without the fastest player in the NFL. That's my notes. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and do some numbers, some snap counts, as well as hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. That's next Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. 
Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Back here, segment number three on a Tuesday on the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and breeze through these pro football-focused numbers here real quick and just give you some stats from the game. Uh, Skylar Thompson, 20-plus yard throws in this game, was 1 for 4 for 30 yards. In the 10 to 19 range, he was 2 for 3 with 23 yards and, of course, the interception. And they only blitzed three times on Skylar Thompson. Well, four if you count Teddy Bridgewater. And a big reason for that is it's tough to blitz when you have so much speed on the back end, so that's obviously a big impact of Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Against the blitz, Skyler was 1-for-3 with negative 1 yard. As a team, this was our lowest yards per attempt output of the season at 5.0. Obviously, you know, Tua leads the NFL right now at 9.2, so hopefully we get back to that here soon. Tyreek caught all seven of his targets for 47 yards, plus the 61 yards of DPI yardage. Waddle also caught all three of his for just 23 yards, plus 34 yards of DPI of his own. Cedric Wilson caught two of four for 20 yards. Mike Gesicki, one of two for 30 yards. We did have 74 yak yards. On the offensive line, Brandon Shell was hit with seven pressures. Greg Little with five pressures. Liam and Rob, four apiece. And Connor Williams with three. I think Teron had one, and the backs and tight ends had a couple as well for 25 total pressures, I think it was, in this game. Raheem slipped four tackles with 4.72 yards after contact on average. It's, what a day that was for him. 85 of his 113 yards came after contact. He had four 10-plus runs, five first-down runs. What a great day. Miles Gaskin had three yards after contact without any missed tackles, which kind of goes back to what Coach alluded to with your forward lean on Sunday night. Eight first-down runs out of 25 for this Dolphins team. That's pretty good, just under one-third of your runs. Pro football focus, defensive numbers, pressures. Ingram had two, Sealer. Brandon Jones, Jerome Baker, and Emmanuel Ogbaugh all had one. Just not enough pressure there on the on the defense. Run stops, Wilkins had four. Brandon Jones and Landon Roberts had three apiece. Zach Sealer, Jalen Phillips, and Nick Needham all had two. And then six players had one apiece. Coverage numbers, Cater Kohu played 25 snaps, 26 yards allowed against him. That's a good figure for him. Igbenogany played 18, had 17 yards against him. Nick Needham, 26 coverage snaps, 21 yards allowed. Brandon Jones, 19 for 34. That's that's pretty good. Jerome Baker, 22 coverage snaps, 21. And then Eric Rowe got hit for the 79-yarder, so his number is not so good. Because of that, Javon Holland wasn't the nearest man on any pass attempts uh, for the Dolphins here today. So I want to finish up here before we get to Coach Mike McDaniel uh, with scanning the social. But first, how about some snap counts for you real quick? The offensive line went wire to wire, except for the left tackle position, which obviously... Brandon Shell played 59 snaps, so just eight snaps for Teron Armstead in this game. Uh, Skyler played 66 snaps. Teddy Bridgewater just the one, obviously. Waddle leads the receivers with 51 snaps. That was 76%. Tyreek Hill played 43 snaps. At running back, Raheem Mostert played 70% of the snaps. That's the biggest work share of a running back this year for the Dolphins. Trent Sherfield played 44 snaps. Gasicki outrepped Durham Smythe, 36 to 33. Alec Ingold played 22. Uh, Wilson, 16. Craycraft, 14. And then the backs, Gaskin, 13. Chase Edmonds, 10. So interesting splits there at the offensive side of the football. The four defensive players did not leave the field. That was Javon Holland, Jerome Baker, Nick Needham, and Cater Kohu. Brandon Jones only left for two snaps in the game. How about Christian Wilkins playing 50 snaps, 85%. What a conditioning job he has done in his career. Zach Sealer played 40. Alandon Roberts played 39. 
Ogba and Raekwon Davis both played 38 apiece. That's 65% for those guys. Melvin Ingram, 36 snaps. Jalen Phillips, 33, 56%. Noah Egmanogany played half of the snaps, 31. And then Van Ginkle, 19. Duke Riley, 10. And then a bunch of guys had uh, a small snap count. Eric Rowe, just six snaps on defense in this game. Channing Tindall played two snaps in the game. So scan the social. I think this week was the week where Twitter sort of broke me. Not in the sense that I'm not going to use it anymore, but I suppose what I should say is that this time, this is the time where I've most seen it, you know, jump the shark, as it were. The uh, what are we even doing here anymore revelation. I don't really dive too deep into the depths. I use the mute tool with the heavy hand because there's just too much nonsense to sift through, if I'm being quite honest with you guys. But one thing I noticed, and look, everyone's got their podcasts and their YouTube shows. I know it's fun for the fan base to really have their choice of content. But man, here's the revelation I sort of had. Some of those videos do numbers. You know, most of those videos do numbers in the double digits, less than 100. Not exactly viral. And sometimes those same accounts on social push narratives from that same feed that makes certain claims. And then those tweets get picked up by a few and it's a few likes here and there. But for the most part, it's overwhelmingly opposition. Get a load of this response, you know? As a result, something that is only seen by a few people and believed by substantially less people becomes this, look at what Dolphins Twitter thinks and believes. And the truth is no one actually thinks that. It's just what a, f- a, f- a few waves have been made to make you think that's the general narrative, but it's not. So my scan in the social is that Twitter is not real life. It's entirely manufactured representation of the truth. And look, everyone enjoys this game in their own way. I'm thrilled that football has billions of fans for so many reasons, but selfishly none more than the fact that it created this platform that I could strive for and eventually uh, you know, achieve. Now that you're all buttered up, here comes the hammer. The opinions you see, a tiny fraction of them are actually qualified. It's just how it is. It's a hard game to understand. I don't know what I'm talking about half the time. I don't coach in this league. It's how you wind up with quarterback X as the best quarterback on the roster takes. Because of a failure to understand even the slightest modicum of nuance. Look at the pressure numbers. Look at the increase in time to throw. It's a tenth of a second better or longer this past week little hitch, little hesitation, and look at the receiver production. Look at how the Jets play us on defense. If you can't see a clear difference in this tape, then you've got some homework to do, a lot of it. At the end of the day, it means nothing, but man, it became too much for me this weekend to not address it. That's my scan of the social. Just some nuance would be nice here and there. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Coach Mike McDaniel, who spoke to the media on Monday, and we start here. With some injury housekeeping items, Coach let us know that Tua is in a 12 to 24 hour recurring evaluation process, that he is not ready to take the steps to do some football uh, on field activity. He said, talk to me every 12 to 24 hours about that. He said, Teddy Bridgewater has no symptoms today, had no symptoms of a concussion yesterday, but per the rule change, he's being treated as though he has a concussion. Teron Armstead is back in South Florida, said the visit went well, and he said that he knows Teron will do everything that he can to play this Sunday against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, he talked a little about the spotter, the, the whole call to to pull Teddy Bridgewater out of the game, saying that he's not in the business of evaluating spotters and a lot of good conversation about him with that. Said that Ty- Tyreek Hill left the stadium looking good in the walking boot after the game on Sunday. Uh, said the expectation is that Durham Smythe, or rather that he believes Durham Smythe will do everything in his power to get back to playing after exiting the game as well. I want to go ahead and play these two audio clips here of Coach here telling us about when asked, will Skylar Thompson start the game on Sunday against the Vikings? Here was his response. You know, I, it's too soon for me to 
to really pinpoint that. You know, there's um, again, I I, I kind of have to uh, wait and assess the whole situation, which I do not have in scope. What I do know is that um, uh, Skyler will be practicing on Wednesday, and hopefully Wednesday I'll have a better better feel of uh, the direction that we should we should go that's best for the football team. So yeah, you're going to have to check back on Wednesday for updates on health and availability as we do every single week. And of course, throughout the course of the week heading into Sunday, let's go ahead and hear from coach on the challenges of coming into that game for Skylar Thompson. He also alluded to the fact that Teddy was so prepared for this game and he was excited for him to play in a game and execute in a game that he was very prepared for. His teammates were excited to see him play and the rules you know, have been placed for player safety. That's what coach is all about, whether he stumbled or not. Uh, the rules of the rules and his only takeaways to form or from the whole process is his relationship with Teddy Bridgewater talking about how prepared he was. He was asked about Skylar Thompson coming into the game cold like that and the work that you do all week long to get your starting quarterback ready and how difficult it can be for the backup to come in, especially when the backup is a rookie. Here's coach. Um, I really respected the fact of how, you know, being, being a backup quarterback in this league is not easy. And what people don't understand is you can't have uh, – you have to have a finite amount of reps during the week because you can't deplete your athletes and put – you can't have an endless amount of reps. So ter- typically um, starters get anywhere from 80 to 100% of the practice reps. So a backup quarterback, especially a rookie, tremendous challenge because you have to own the whole game plan, visualize it, be able to call it, be able to line people up, and then execute appropriately. Um, I think he was way on top of the game plan um, in a way that I don't think um, that uh, typically I'm used to rookies being on top of. Um, and I think he uh, he was also frustrated with his play, but confident that he. it was more of like a frustration in the moment, like, my feet are messed up, but that wasn't the right timing. Um, overall, it's exactly what I thought it would be where I left the game knowing that um, the game is not too big for him, and that was probably, if he has, um, if he has any say in it, it was probably uh, the worst that he will feel like he's, he'll perform as a professional, and that was good enough to win. So um, I was very happy um, with the player um, because he, it, it takes a lot of prep and it's a big stage that everyone's not up for. All right, long podcast on Tuesday, as they typically are, getting you all the nitty-gritty uh, from the autopsy and the game on Sunday. We heard from Coach McDaniel, gave you some fun stats there as well. We'll come back for you guys on the podcast tomorrow. And then, of course, the Thursday preview, the Friday perspective from the opposition, the Minnesota Vikings this week. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the team, at Miami Dolphins. Fish Tank Podcast, Seth and Juice, post-game show on Sundays once the clock hits triple zeros. Wednesday night, Twitter Spaces show, international podcast. We have plenty of content for you guys up and down the network. Check out the uh, website, MiamiDolphins.com, for all the written content and the YouTube channel. Changing it up this week, going in a different order. With Dolphins Today and the media availabilities we had on Monday, you can find all those up on the team YouTube channel. Until next time, fins up, Caroline, Daddy's coming home.